Hello and welcome back to the Behind the Music Business podcast, my little podcast about the music business and about people who I have met along the way who work in the music business, about them, about their career paths, about their motivations, about their companies, about anything that I think is interesting. Uh, This week's pod is with Lyndon Campbell of Domino Records and Publishing. She is the head of synchronisation there. Um, I've known Lyndon for a while, since my time as a music supervisor and my time as the sync manager at Peer Music a few years back. And it was a lovely chat with Lyndon. Um, I went to the Domino offices in South London and we had a conversation about the state of things in the music business, in specifically in sync and in independent labels and publishers as well. She had some amazing things to say about Domino in particular, about how she sees things going for independent labels and publishers at the moment, how things have changed, and also her insights into the wonderful world of synchronisation that she's been a influential voice in for a number of years now. So I'll shut up because you don't really want to hear from me. You want to hear from Lyndon. So here is my conversation with Lyndon Campbell of Domino Records and Publishing. The first thing I was going to ask is just how's 2019 been? For you, for Domino, for... For sync and for well, I think 2019's been really exciting mm-hmm. because um, the talent of songwriting and music craft in this country, I personally, I I think it's never been stronger. Right. So everything we do at Domino starts with the music, mm-hmm. and as a sync person, I don't get to choose who our artists are, I'm given a selection of musicians or copyrights that um, the A&R team have decided we should control. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've felt over the last two or three years particularly there's been a closeness between the sync teams and the A&R teams. It was something I was going to, I was hoping It's not a deliberate thing, we don't do, we don't sign people specifically for sync here, so that's not, like we we quite often get asked that question. Mm It's completely the other way around. So people are signed on the merits of their music. Right. Um, if they have a strong talent that kind of sets a little light off in the A and R team, then that's you know when they're likely to get signed to our roster. Yeah. Um, but there has been a kind of nice conversation, shall we say, between the A and R and the sync team. So we're getting to know about things earlier on mm-hmm. in the signing process. Um, and that's been great because I can just start to plan ahead okay. um, what I might be able to achieve for somebody whereas traditionally you're given an artist and you haven't had any time to think about what you could actually genuinely achieve for them mm-hmm. and so you're always at a cross purpose because their expectation is usually much higher than the reality of what you could achieve for them Right. Um, whereas over the last year I've been able to have pre-signing conversations with some of the artists, okay. rightly or wrongly, may I say. Um, <laughs> and, and I have to say, it just it's just made this year feel, for me, more satisfying, more involved and more exciting. Have you got a lot of artists that are initiating those com- conversations about yeah. sync, about brand partnerships much earlier on? Definitely. I mean, I think there's an awareness... Um, with the Domino roster, there's a still a strong interest in creativity, mm-hmm. innovation, progress. So a lot of our artists are really super interested in interactive entertainment, gaming, um, user-generated content potential, mm-hmm. which has been a nice synergy because I've been obsessing about that myself and right. how the traditional model of sync is being challenged by DSP setups. So I... I'm totally convinced that in 10 years time sync teams will literally be more about promotion and 
a lot of the licenses would be set up through organizations like Fuga, so there'll be like tick boxes that you check and then those permissions will sort of be automatically generated. Okay. And making it quicker, easier, yeah. more efficient. But the classic thing is that rights management is so complex in sync and there are so many more stakeholders than in distribution mm-hmm. that it will be a long time before I think Fug- I don't even think Fuga have even bothered to put any sync rights into their system. Well, I know that because I've asked them. <laughs> so um, I think it will be a, a while before that can truly be generated automatically because what tends to happen is with all the new technologies that people have been talking about over the last couple of years, one party will sign up to it, so usually the record label, mm-hmm. and then it's just an absolute mammoth task to try and assign all of the publishing rights to those consents. So, Is that one of the things that you're, because here quite a large chunk of your roster, you've got both? Master and publishing? We have an absolutely sensational chunk of roster that we have both sides to. Yeah, it's it's enables you to be a bit more. Yeah, it's quite nice because it's not the back of the sofa stuff, it's the the actual frontline catalogue. So Mm -hmm. John Hopkins, Blood Orange, Anna Calvi. It's so nice to have because it just means you can be so much more proactive. Is that something that the company pushes for when it's looking at working with new artists I know there's obviously going to be the occasions where management are looking at multiple options there's Mm. multiple businesses on the table but is a company like Domino kind of focused on getting those rights I think Domino's focus is Domino publishing okay so you'll find the majority of signings to the company are publishing signings and there's actually not a huge amount of label signings has that shifted? So we set the publishing company up about 15 years ago and it is quite funny because I've always promoted my team as Domino Publishing mm-hmm. and yet everyone always speaks to me as Domino Records. We do look after the record label, um, so I do, I, you know, I represent Domino Records and Domino Publishing. Um, but there is a sort of fascination with the label when in fact we're probably more publishing company to some extent. Okay. Um, so I think we always start first with publishing rights, mm-hmm. um, but there is no, there are no rules, and there's always exceptions. There's no sort of with A and R. There's never any kind of, um, you know, open, straightforward, direct entry thing. Unfortunately, yeah. Um, but I think with Domino, it's always it's always innovation and talent first, authenticity. Um, the, the the guys that run the company are genuinely um, supportive of talent and music like, I can't stop saying that I think I've already said that about three times it really is about that it's not, you know, they're not sitting on Spotify counting how many times someone's been viewed and mm-hmm. they, they, that's there are other companies that do that and there's nothing wrong with that but here it's more to do with um, it's almost like a family so people that we've already got signed to the label will recommend things and um, you'll find that a lot of our bands interlink so someone will co-write with somebody else mm-hmm. and that sort of tends to generate signings rather than there being a sort of um, machine to the, there's yeah. not really machine logic here no. there is a lot of heart and um it quite often can be quite challenging to explain why we have some of the artists that we have mm-hmm. because it is truly decisions made on merits of people's personal taste here. Is there set targets? And I don't mean financial targets, um, but rather, you know, numbers of signings how big, small the roster needs to be at any given time. You're, you know, is, is, the, is there anything that kind of dictates something like that? You kind of think, well, actually, we've done quite a lot already this year. We probably should dial it back. Or, you know what, we really need to go out there and push for... I've never had any expansion. sense of that here. Because I think it's sort of honeypot and a lot of people were drawn to Domino. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of things come to us naturally um, we've also had like really long term relationships with people so for example on the record label we now have Hot Chip and we've just um, 
acquired all the back catalogue from Warner and members of that band used to work in the office when Domino started right. so nice. it's kind of like <laughs> you know it's it sort of we've we've got 25 years behind us as a label and I think you know there's a longevity to Domino mm -hmm. so it tends to draw people well artists that are like originators or pioneers or you know they they perhaps felt lost on other labels but they they tend to come to us because they know that we've got their interests at heart mm -hmm. unfortunately our goodwill doesn't always get us very far because we obviously rely on the goodwill of distributors and journalists and press and media and sync agents etc yeah but there's definitely like a goodwill here that mm -hmm. when we sign people like at that point we really value them and their craft it's, it's something that personally I've always kind of thought that defines the independent sector mm. it's not not you know, any one particular company but there's it's very much a, it's a family it's a family between the artist and the company and even it's a family between some of those other external companies that you mentioned like sync agents like distributing distributors and stuff like that as well and I think that's one of the things that a lot of artists appreciate yeah. Yeah, I think you would hope that an independent company has made the choice to do business in a particular way. Like they have their own ideology mm -hmm. and they hire people set on their values and that perpetuates. And I think sometimes when we're under pressure to compromise our values things go wrong yeah and I've always found that when we've been true to ourselves it sounds so hippie and ridiculous but it's fine. genuinely when we've been like well we've all sat around the room and gone oh my god I can't wait for us to sign this person mm -hmm. and I'm like bounding over to the A&R team every five minutes going have they signed the contract yet have they signed the contract yet because I'm ready to go cool um that things always come together really mm -hmm. nicely um and you know when we're in situations where we've sort of ended up m with artists that when I they just didn't sit right, they didn't quite get us, and we didn't. Yeah, there was like a miscommunication. Yeah, because I think sometimes those conversations start with managers, mm -hmm. and management might change, and you know when there's a sort of distance from the artist, and they're not getting to speak to us and see what we're up to, mm -hmm. and. I think, I, to be honest, I think that's a music industry-wide problem where for a long time artists have been um, distanced from the teams that are working on they them. They get much, 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 much And they, much feel, now, they? they feel like no one's doing anything or they feel really disconnected. Uh -huh. I think that that can cause issues sometimes. Okay. Um, and, you know, I like to try and approach every single band as an individual and that we don't prioritise anyone over anyone else in the sense that I don't have lists of priority artists, I I, which I think is probably quite unusual for sync teams. So you tend not to have me hounding anyone or like f kind of flogging. Right. Um, I genuinely try to go out my way to make all of our pitches relevant to what the client's asking for. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of my time is spent trying to just give people an alternative view. So try and open a window to some stuff that they would never have ever listened to before and really my role is about opening a door to another world and mm -hmm. giving people an alternative choice that you know I know that in in the speed and the pace and the haste of like a sync pitch they're looking for a specific thing so then my job is to try and respond to that um, but also to find those windows where they've got time to just think about something else, put that in the back of their mind, mm -hmm. and then hopefully that'll come, that'll come out in yeah. the fullness of time. Cool. <laughs> so it's a quite a long game here. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that signings aren't done specifically because of sync uh, and you've just mentioned that kind of the, the way that you pitch promote um, 
the artist that you're working with isn't necessarily kind of based around core strategy for you know frontline artists who have got something coming out and things like that what role do you play in the creative process um in terms of A&R or in terms in ter- of A&R? kind of both because I mean from from my perspective obviously the A&R teams marketing teams sync brand partnership teams should always be communicating with one another there's a lot of overlap everybody should be knowing what they're doing and, and what everybody's doing at any given time mm. um, but you know even though you're not signing people for sync do you are you involved in the conversations when A&R people are talking about who they're looking into and are you listening to that stuff and are you throwing in your opinions from your side of things? Well, I think the setup here is probably quite different to other places. Mm-hmm. So I don't have A&R. We do have an A&R catch-up, but it's more of a sort of family gathering and we all watch the music videos that have just come out from um, our roster. Yeah. Um, Really, it's about just a constant dialogue. So we are in an open plan office. We each team has about one or two people in it, and we just constantly talk. Mm-hmm. So there isn't really ever a point where no one knows what I'm doing. But equally, I am sync and brands and any kind of strategic licensing that's available to Domino. I I I'm involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there aren't any kind of like convoluted meetings and stuff and I think what tends to happen is you know my my priority is to help amplify the unknown bands okay. the deep catalogue the yep. stuff that isn't obvious that is that's probably the the only thing that I could write down on paper and be like that is that's one of the goals mm-hmm. Um Really, it's about trying to figure out what homes there are for each individual song, because when you've got very alternative music, there's not going to be hundreds and hundreds of things, and it's very unlikely that we'll get a song that gets repeated time and time again. Um, the US team look after cinematic orchestra, and they have to build a home, and that gets requested probably ten times a day. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, we there's not a lot of catalogue that we have that gets that sort of repeat. So, um, whilst it might we might not have the sort of like head-on marketing strategy vibe, um, my behaviour is always very opportunistic, but long term. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's about gathering people that we're on are on the same wavelength as us, that we know have the potential to spend money on music and then okay. to like make sure that we're available to them when they need us mm-hmm. which is very challenging and increasingly challenging and I would say if there was anything negative about t- 2019 it's that everything is needed yesterday and we're <laughs> I can't emphasize how small a team we are mm-hmm. and how big a reach we have um so it's almost like we're, we're suffering from our own success at the moment. How big's the roster here these days? I think we've got 55,000 songs. That's not a small amount. And at the moment, I'm, I'm looking after World X US and I have an assistant who's a temp at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's very challenging to try and be there for everyone like when they need it. Yeah. Um, and... I think naturally as a sync person you have you have certain ways of prioritizing the things that are coming to you but it's really important to keep the artists at the heart of everything so mm-hmm. quite often I'm working on things that the artists want us to do okay and um, and that and that almost takes priority sometimes over what our clients want to do and that's that's listening to the artists and they've got some ideas when it comes to brand partnerships I'm guessing especially yeah I mean I think with us it's usually film projects or creative projects I mean artists here really are quite savvy they're very business aware and if they're going to do a brand project then there has to be money attached to it Mm -hmm. and I think it's natural for a lot of brands to want to partner with our bands because they have 
authenticity, they are the real deal. But you'll find that those brands know that and those bands won't agree to it because they aren't going to sell out. So we still have bands that say no. Okay. Um, which is bizarre. And it's still quite hard for people to get their heads around because I think everyone assumes that everyone just says yes now. I guess I think there's, yeah, there's probably been a, a bit of a, of, a, of a sense of actually it's not selling out quite as much as it ever was yeah. that you kind of you obviously say no to most yeah. but when you find the right partner yeah. for the right reasons with the right ethos and with the with the same ideals the same audience then actually it works it works strategically but obviously for the right amount of money and so you get a lot of groups who have historically gone no, 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 no. Have suddenly, mm. it's it's much more obvious and aware that they kind of they're open to it, but mm. it still doesn't mean that everybody says yes to everything. No, and I don't think they should. No, and I think there's a fear amongst young uh, songwriters and artists, particularly, that if they say no to something, no one will ever speak to them ever again. And actually, quite often you find a little bit of tough love can go a long way. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're polite and responsive. Um, you know, you can still keep inviting that individual to a show or like, you know, send them some vinyl when it comes out and just keep that relationship sweet. But, you know, just say that, you know, we just feel that, particularly with online usages, I mean, I think, you know, you shouldn't be saying yes to things that are going to go on online globally because then it's out there and mm-hmm. it's, it's too late to take it back off the internet. Yeah. And you just have to sort of be sensible about what you're agreeing to. Mm-hmm. Because once you've said yes, it's very hard to withdraw that. So Especially online when it kind of just starts to... Yeah. It, it takes on a life of its own. I mean, I think in terms of education, I think it's just knowing that you can ask questions uh-huh. and make an informed decision. And really that's what SYNC is about. SYNC is, is really a licensing process. Mm-hmm. And a licensing process is about making sure that you have key sets of information, which are pretty standard, mm-hmm. um, which every filmmaker, TV person, advertising agency, they all sort of um, make you feel like you're the only person who's ever asked those questions and that you're <laughs> slowing the process down when actually they could put a wee bit of preparation in. Um, because the questions are always the same. And if you know who the director is, if you like that director, if it's good enough for them, well, why why not do it? Yeah. Um, if you've never heard of the director, you've never heard of the cast, um, and you're being told that it's a promotional use, it's probably not going to promote much because the film is using you to promote its film. So there's all sorts of kind of little judgments that you can make quite easily, and you can get it wrong. Yeah. I mean, I've probably made tons and tons of mistakes. Every day I'm learning. Every day mm-hmm. is a challenge, and. The thing with sync is that you just it's almost like sediments of mistakes <laughs> and learning it's just a yeah, constant yeah. learning curve and you're constantly like learning from one experience and then using that in the next experience so that you build up a set of values that help you to protect the artist and and the value of music in the yeah. next decision that you make i mean sometimes you know you'll just be like do you know what the fee's not that bad. It's an annual salary to some people. Mm-hmm. Let's just do it. Yeah. Um, you know, in other cases, you're like, I just really didn't like the the scene description. It just seemed really inappropriate. Do you have financial targets? Um, we have to make money. We yeah. are a business. Um, I don't think we're as vocal about that as perhaps other companies I've worked in, where they have like monthly targets. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's absolutely no doubt in our minds that we're here to make money. Yeah. So I think when I started at Domino, I felt I felt like an absolute outsider because I came from a very different world, you came from and EMI. Yeah. I'd come from EMI Records. Yeah. I I mean, a lot of people here work had worked at majors, but it was more the fact that you know I was I was bringing advertising people into the building and brand people into the building and it was very it was like literally everyone would stop what they're doing and look at the door and be like you know eyeing these people up because they always <laughs> stood out like a sore thumb as soon as they walk in so it was very funny um, and now that fe- that feels like it's a bit 
more settled but mm-hmm. it's still it's still music first and the, it, the priority here particularly with the label uh, repertoire is that um, you know the press and the uh, sort of promotional aspects of the business is still priority and then we just get on with sync quietly in the background that's mm-hmm. not to say that it's not a priority or that we don't have our own targets that I sort of give myself but I feel like the pressure for me comes from our clients and we literally are just constantly trying to make sure that our, we're getting back to the clients quickly enough and by and clients you mean the music users not e- not the roster yeah, I mean, it's like a real balance because the artists are so important to us. But without my music supervisors and my brand partners, I don't have a business. Mm-hmm. And I really feel the pressure from them all the time that, you know, I could literally be working 24-7 and it's, it's really hard to get a balance. But, you know, I just really want them to feel like this is an extension of their team. And I guess it's been quite hard to achieve that over the last couple of years because the turnaround expectations are so, so fast now. Mm-hmm. And the internal processes for getting clearances are still quite archaic. Mm-hmm. So we're still waiting for bands to come off tour or we're trying to get hold of a manager or a band's just changed management and we can't find the new manager right. or the band isn't used to being contacted because they've just lost a manager or we don't know what the rights are, or when we originally set up the company, there wasn't a contract, and so we don't actually have any legal documents that we can right. offer a warranty to, and all this sort of thing. So there's, there's quite, it's sort of like, there's a lot of kind of fast peddling going on, mm-hmm. which most of our clients and customers don't have a clue what we're dealing with, and, you know, little micro-ego wars where someone's just decided that they don't want a particular song to be used in anything, and, and they sort of, you know, they just shut down on us mm-hmm. and it you know there's all sorts of like frustrations that go on with sync it's an incredibly challenging job and you've got you've got to have marketing chops you've got to have music knowledge you've got to provide a sense of authenticity that i i believe you have to know your castle i, I think it's very uncool if a client rings up and asks for a song and you don't know what it is i just think that's the worst thing Mm-hmm. Um, as a client, that would really wind me up. But that's hard when you've got 55,000 songs. And that's a fairly... I mean, it, it's a significant, but it's quite a... It's a fairly modest catalogue in the grand scheme it, of songs. It can be quite companies. challenging, because I think the music industry is the worst at communicating its own rights internally. And there's this huge demand for... You know, why can't all the rights be on a system we can all just go in and have a look at it? And half the time, we, you know, an album could have been out for a year and we're still waiting on the publishing splits or, yeah. or suddenly it changes and the publishing has changed and somebody's suddenly been signed to a different publisher. I mean, I don't really have any animosity about that because, you know, that's the business. Mm-hmm. And I think it's totally fine that artists move around and they change rights holder. Um, but the communication of that can be really cumbersome and, like, yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, it's super challenging. You've got to have excellent communication skills mm-hmm. and you can't have a bad day ever, um, which is impossible because we have bad days all the time. <laughs> have you got an amount of the roster that the ownership rights are shared? So you're dealing with... 50% and, and 25% of songs when you've got other publishers and other rights owners to kind of keep happy yeah. and have a, have a relationship with? Or are you in a quite a nice position that, where the majority of it is that's 100%? Quite, yeah, that's quite a good question, actually, because when I started here, the majority of rights were just Domino that I was mm-hmm. dealing with. And that really freaked me out because I'd come from a major and we were used to just going MFN with publishing and then the publisher would do all the work. Sorry, that's really rude, but that's kind of what we did. Um, and it wasn't until... It was about three months into the job where I suddenly realised, oh my God, I've actually got to just take responsibility here and you're completely accountable. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying where you make... Sometimes you make, you make a bad decision. 
but you have to stick with it and then yeah. you won't make that decision again or you know I've each each that. accident <laughs> or or it's just like you innocently um set a fee or a price for something and you think that's absolutely reasonable and mm-hmm. then you find out down the line that they had double that or you know there's all there's all there's a lot of kind of it's it's a constant game and it has been a it, constant it, it game is unfortunately it how much is. do you want how much have you got how yeah. much do you want how much have you got and i quite enjoy the game but sometimes it can be a bit jarring and exhausting and you you know it, it's like death of a salesman really you're kind of like always as good as your last deal mm-hmm. and um Basically, after three months here, I just suddenly realised, my God, I've got, but I've just basically got to bite the bullet, and I've just got to get on with this, and I've got to set fees. I've got to say yes. I've got to say no. I've got to live and die by my decision. Yeah, and yeah. there's absolutely no one else in Domino that was going to help me, and there were weren't any other rights holders that I could sort of plant the blame on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so you are still finding because uh, the majority of the Domino roster is performer songwriters bands that uh, sort of thing yeah so um, what I would say is over the last three years we've got bigger stronger as a publisher our A&R team slightly developed a bit more so it's we've got a much stronger publishing A&R team now. Mm-hmm. and as a result of that we now do have writers that are co-writers okay um, are you seeing more co-writers working with the the perform the bands um, it's something that I've noticed a little bit that there's we're kind of going back to collectives of songwriters it's not this is mine yeah. and it's only me it's no let's bring in let's be collaborative well I think there's an element of we can't afford we can't afford these people to play on our album so we'll just give them some publishing rights which I have to say is very irritating right because if they've got one percent I've got to go and get permission from that one percent for sync which is very frustrating, particularly with a short time frame. Um, Can that not be done, kind of within the within the deal? We we've given you a, a minority share, and I know that obviously approvals are are paramount, and moral rights are important. But kind of a you're able to leave the, the judgment to us or uh, you're happy to go with the majority shareholders that sort of I would I would love that thing. to happen but it, it doesn't really happen here um, but but certainly I think there's a, a bit more understanding of the impact of agreements now on, mm-hmm. on me <laughs> so um, I definitely vocalise that from now from now on I'm like why did, why did that happen because that's <laughs> just that's not doing anyone any favours mm-hmm. Um but it has been really weird because we have now got these 5% and 10% and 15% and the weird thing for me is that I quite often have a minority share or something but a lot of people are relying on me to drive the deal Okay. and I, I found that very weird. Is that just because the majority shareholders are a smaller company? I'm not entirely sure and but it, for me it's always, I've, I don't know, I've always had this sort of gentlemanly way of doing business which is probably a bit naive but I've always kind of been like well you've got a large right. share so I you, was exactly the same up here it was you know, I'm happy to go with yeah. the majority shareholders and, and it, it's not like passing the buck because I can tell you I blooming well hold the reins on the majority of the stuff we have to do and, and I've you know I know how hard that is mm-hmm. um, but I think there's kind of out of respect to the majority rights holders like they should make the decision first they should drive the deal and, and once they're happy then I'll chip in but it sort of hasn't been like that and it's I've had all sorts of weird experiences over the last couple of years it's just it's, it has changed I think that's just the development of you know when I started because I, I when I started here the publishing company was only a year or two old mm-hmm. now we're like much older so well, it's really fascinating that you've, yeah. kind of, you've developed this publishing company over the last 11-12 years and now the business as a whole is kind of more geared up, focused towards the publishing side of it, and the record label is kind of the bonus. Well, bit. I think the the record label is like the diamond. You know, we're all very proud of it, mm. and it's done so well. Um, to have come out of sort of early nineties and sort of survive all the kind of uh, nonsense the over the games. last fifteen years and yeah, sort of. Yeah all the different shifts and formats and to sort of survive 
I'm I'm so proud of the label. I'm really proud of it. And the publishing company, to, for me, it's been a massive challenge because I I I learned my trade in a record label. Mm-hmm. And to be referred to as a publisher, I still find it really odd because I don't <laughs> see myself as that. And I've always brought kind of label vibe to publishing. I've always been really challenging. So when I started here, it was very much an administrative process and, oh, the label will do everything. And I was like, we can't be waiting for a label to do anything. Half of these people don't have a label. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you, know, I, you know, I probably got way more involved than I possibly should have. But I don't think it's been a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it, you know, the artists have enjoyed that aspect to it. And, you know, I will go and try and get brand partnerships and I will go and just see whatever I can, you know, whatever I can muscle my way into. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if I meet someone who might help a band with a video or if I meet someone who might help a band with, um, I don't know, touring or booking, um, if they're on the publishing roster, I'll, I'll still link them up. Yeah, yeah. And the publishing roster is so exciting here. I mean... It, it's sometimes it's sort of like it's a real privilege to be able to dance about lots of different labels whereas when you're in in one label I mean when I was at EMI Records to be honest that was ridiculous because it was it was almost like a commune of lots of independent labels it was insane mm-hmm. it was the most beautiful place and then I just got destroyed um, I don't think anyone will really ever appreciate how special that place was um, and at Domino it, having the pleasure of playing with the publishing roster and the label roster it's, it's quite nice because you can kind of disappear off into catalogues and different musical spaces and it just gives your clients different aspects but it's incredibly challenging because there's no one mode of music, so it's very difficult for people to like pigeonhole us right. or go, oh, well, we'll go to Domino because they've got loads of indie rock music. I was going to say, what would you class, what would you say But the, actually, the, the genre of, of I think Domino is? The genre days? of Domino are its pioneers. It's a space for people that maybe don't have mainstream appeal, but they, they're pro- they probably inspired a lot of other bands. So... I think we've signed bands in the last 10 to 15 years that have probably gone on, they're still a little bit unnoticed, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years' time very famous bands reference them. I mean, I guess the label started with bands like Pavement, and you know, if you mention Pavement to certain people, they'll just melt in front of your eyes and they're like, oh my god, the most amazing band ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the average person probably wouldn't have a clue what that is. And that's what Domino is about. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got on the publishing side, people like Arthur Russell as a writer, um, Robert Wyatt, um, Shirley Collins, you know, these are people that are musicians, musicians, and that have inspired a lot of phenomenal writers. And I think that's what we're about. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, that's probably not, as catchy and obvious to an advertising agency that's got two minutes to put a song on a um, yes. washing powder wrapper. Yes, the, <laughs> the cool end of, of the thing. I was going to ask, where are the opportunities? Where are you finding the majority of your licenses, your deals coming from at the moment? So I work um, World X US. Mm-hmm. So in the USA, I think... I could be completely mistaken, but I see licensing as being quite linear. So the biggest opportunities are US TV because they have multiple episodes in one show. The music supervisors that work on them are quite long term. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're a massive fan of a particular American show, you can usually hunt down the music supervisor and they're IMDb usually is a wonderful thing. and they are really yeah IMDB LinkedIn they're really keen for particular types of music and you can read them quite if you watch the show you can usually read the sorts of music that is you know being used mm-hmm. and um, I think there is a hunger from those supervisors because they they've got thirty six episodes to fill whereas in the UK they've only got six yes so. I don't look after the US, so why am I not looking after the US? Because I love the kind of Moroccan souk challenge of um, the mess that is the rest of the world. 
Um, and I've really enjoyed sort of um, exploring markets beyond the UK because mm-hmm. they've got a real appetite for independent music, I think more so than the UK. Okay. Because the UK, particularly London, is absolutely saturated with music and every single music company is here. Yeah. Um, when you go to different locations in Europe or Korea or uh, beyond, they, they, they get so excited that you're there and they're so keen to engage. It's quite, it's quite a thrill. So mm-hmm. internationally there are huge opportunities and Brexit doesn't worry me because music has no borders and mm-hmm. they will need, if they need the music, they have to go to source. So yeah. um, whilst it's going to be a pain for touring bands, um, I don't think it's going to make a huge amount of difference to music licensing. So you're getting a lot, a lot of traction in Middle East, Latin we, America. We get requests from the most extraordinary places, <laughs> and it's an absolute buzz when you get like a request from somewhere really random, and um, it just opens up the world a mm-hmm. bit more, and it's just so much more interesting. Um, in terms of short-term gains, Netflix and Amazon have, has absolutely been a game-changer. That was something that we could see coming. and um, Is that something that is dealt with via the US? So or? most production companies in Europe will now have to pay to license music to Netflix. So previously they would have blanket agreements mm-hmm. with the collection societies. Um, and now they have to get um, deals in place for them to push it to net- Netflix, etc. And that's been really exciting because it starts to be a revenue generator that wasn't there before. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the nature of these things is that um, I think emerging, I don't really like the word emerging, but you know, lesser known bands or bands that maybe haven't got the statistics to prove that they exist, even though they probably have a huge following, mm-hmm. Um, they I just worry that people feel like they have to be on something for promotional purposes and that they don't realise they can ask for money but that's like everything I suppose but um, it's really opened up an opportunity for independent music I think it's made an absolute massive difference to Mm -hmm. us so what it means is that more songs are getting used so you're licensing a wider range of music rather than um, you know, one song getting licensed to a massive TV ad for loads and loads of money, that just doesn't happen anymore. Doing There's always exceptions. I'm quite sure the majors are churning out ex- extortionate yeah. deals. But um and I don't and I don't hold that against them. Are you doing fair. a lot more online YouTube channel type? Yeah, so we we well. the majority of my work is digital, so online streaming. So we have I was talking to another rights holder and we were joking that in 10 years time we'll all be arguing over on hold um, music licenses because um, the sort of media platforms that we can license to are shrinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just means that the turnaround is quicker and it also means you're dealing with people who aren't music supervisors so you're having to work harder because you've got to educate each individual every single deal on the process. Mm-hmm. Which can be really satisfying, but I don't think they particularly enjoy that. And so you've got you've kind of got to really manage your own um, expectation of of what people are coming to you with. Because really, what you want is for music supervisors to approach you because they speak your language, mm-hmm. um, and they'll give you the information you need up front so you can get deal done quickly. But it can take weeks to get people to understand why you're asking particular questions and and so they go off to find out the answers and it just takes forever. Um, and, it's, and it's hugely frustrating because it just simply doesn't need to be like that because there are a lot of educators out there that are willing to give people these this information, like yourself. Um, <laughs> we do a lot of education as well. Um, and to be honest, it's, it, it's pretty draining having to do that every day. Um, I can imagine it must be what a primary school teacher feels like when they've been teaching the alphabet for about 25 years. It kind of feels like that. Like, why do I have to explain that there's a publishing company and a a recording label? And also, you know, there is so much that you can find online these days Mm -hmm. that 
it, it's just frustrating to feel yeah. like you have to explain that and then feel like they then hold it against you that you know like you're the you're the bad it's almost yeah, like you've invented this these rules to thwart them to, to, yeah just despite them <laughs> mentioned um, your time at EMI, mm -hmm. various assortment of roles at EMI uh, within licensing and sync. Uh, you've been at Domino now as the head of sync on the label and publishing side for the past 10 years. Um, was the music industry always the, the direction? that you wanted to go in? <laughs> uh, was um, did you even know what music licensing was when you when you arrived at EMI or was that just kind of a happy accident? Um, yeah. So I don't think anyone really knows what they're supposed to do, do they? No. And, um, you know, when you're sort of choosing your GCSEs when you're about 12 or something, 13, whatever ridiculous age it was, um, I wanted... Well, I've always loved art and architecture and I had sort of investigated that as an option. Um, I don't want to entirely blame my parents, but I think there was a strong, um, there's a strong Calvinist ethic within my family, and it's kind of like, you know, music and art were really important to my upbringing, but they were they were intended to be uh, opportunities for rest and relaxation. They weren't supposed to be the main job. That's partly because my dad was a folk singer during the sixties and seventies before nice. I was around. Um, so anyway, I think they wanted me to go off and um, make have a good living. And so music and art, that's not going to get you a good living. So <laughs> I actually um, did everything to become a lawyer. I studied, I did loads and loads of work experience. Um, I was actually really interested in um, waste regulation. Like course, yeah, why not? So I did a dissertation on um, household <laughs> refuse um, regulation. Oh my god, I was so ahead of my time, I have to say. That's so relevant now. So that, I was obsessed with the environment, and I thought, oh, maybe environmental regulations. Um, I was really super interested in mobile technology, so I did a lot of work experience at BT. Mm -hmm. I, when I was at uni, I studied law at Coventry University. I've always had this weird balance between an interest in business and regulations. Okay. And... Um, I guess it's like the ethics of things and doing, mm -hmm. trying to do things the right way and then um, just love art and music and love being around people that are brave enough to be artists. Um, so I think I'd, I thought I would do law, leave and then I'd maybe get into like art management or something, mm -hmm. like d fine art management. Anyway, what happened was I ended up graduating after five years of study, went to Scotland for about a month completely lost about what I'm supposed to do now did about 300 training contract applications didn't get any interviews um, and my mum sent posted me an article saying um, have you heard of e-commerce there's this thing called e-commerce <laughs> and you can buy records online I was like wow <laughs> So I wrote to recordstore.co.uk nice. and said, can I have some work experience, please? They said yes. I was rubbish. I kept putting cassettes in orders for CDs, but I basically worked in the warehouse. Okay. And whilst I was there, I met a guy who had studied law and didn't become a lawyer. And it honestly, the ground shook when I met him because I was like, why would you do all that and not become a solicitor? That's mental. And then they suggested, why don't you write to EMI? see if they've got any licensing jobs. And that's okay. when I heard about licensing. Right. I also thought it would be really cool to manage a band called The Desolators. And they were like Radiohead, which I was really into when I was a teenager. And in that process, went to an AIM conference, which mm -hmm. was about licensing. Ah. So we didn't use the word sync then. Nope. And I met with a whole bunch of people that I know now, but they were on the panel, people like Ruth Simmons, um, and I've still I kept the I kept the program and I kept my notes. Nice. And um, framed. It sounds like the rest was easy. It wasn't. No. And there's been a lot of tears, and my mum will vouch for that because I pretty much speak to her nearly every day. 
I've found the last 15 years incredibly hard and there is no direct routes to anything in the music industry so you can be working your hardest Mm -hmm. and not be appreciated Um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is I just don't want that to happen to anyone else but when you look back on it it looks really straightforward and it looks like I bounced from one thing to the next but it was really hard Mm -hmm. so I started in compilation licensing and they were very clear that sync is a sexy side of the business and you're doing licensing so don't expect to ever get into sync which is a little bit like red rag to a bull (laughs) and I just had a natural empathy for what suited what what worked on film Mm -hmm. and a lot of clients just picked up on that and it just naturally ended up sort of the forces of nature I they kept hiring people to do a sync role and then it just became really obvious that I should be doing that and right. then I ended up doing it but it wasn't easy no. do you think the uh, the gender splits and things like that are something that affect this area of the of the music business I think licensing has always been quite female oriented. Because I've, um, I've always thought I've just I've only ever worked with yeah. amazingly strong kick-ass women. Yeah, and I'm fortunate. It's unfortunate because I'm really scared I'm going to become this tough, surly cow, um, and I and I really fight against it. But it's just sort of inevitable that I will become the headmistress, and I'm now the headmistress of Sync. But you know, you have to say no sometimes, and you have to be firm but fair. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, people realise I'm being fair. I don't know. Um, my hope is always that you know when you're doing your job you've got to be professional yeah. but when people meet me uh, preferably near a karaoke bar then nice. they'll have a good time um, but I, I think I didn't think there was a, a gender gap but I guess looking back I was hired by a woman um, and then but I have noticed there is quite a male domination in the creative side of the business right um, and I definitely know I was the only woman pitching, or well, one of the only women, I, I can't think of anyone else at the moment that was pitching music uh, in the mid-2000s, uh, mm-hmm. 2005, 2006, 2007. I don't remember there being a lot of women doing pitching um, and the creative side of things. And I think, I, it's just... I think the problem is it, it can be a bit of a a mate's job because you hire the people you trust and if they're your mates and you met them playing football then I don't know if I really hold that against anyone mm-hmm. to, it, you know it's it's such a personality based yeah. business and you want to work with people that you get on with um, but my hope is that when people are hiring that they go through a proper hiring process and even if they've already got someone in their mind, that they stretch that net out. And I'm not entirely convinced that happens with Sync. Mm-hmm. And I think that that needs to be looked at. I think there's an issue there. Okay. And I think there needs to be... I think there needs to be a sort of um, Sync-specific apprenticeship scheme okay. offered to um, ethnic minorities. Because okay. I think we've got a bigger issue with race than we have with gender. Those people who do want to get into the wonderful world of synchronisation and licensing, what should they be concentrating on? What do you need? What's the, what's, what, what needs to go in the toolbox before anything else? Well, I think to work in an independent specifically, you need to actually like the music that's on the independent. Mm-hmm. So I've just, gone, I've just gone through an interview process and... I think we've met some incredible people, but when we've asked them about asked them to tell us about our roster, they haven't been able to describe it, and they've gone for really obvious bands like Arctic Monkeys or Franz Ferdinand. We're looking out for those people who pick up on Pat White Family, Black Midi, the publishing roster. So that's like an absolutely no-brainer interview. If you're being interviewed for an independent company, music company know the roster Mm -hmm. and all you have to do is go online have a look at the website also we're sitting in a room with loads of posters it's covered in posters (laughs) I mean if you're quick brained enough you can at least rattle those off yes and try and convince me but you know really you just need to be into your music and that is where how I've 
survived because I am at the heart a 14 year old who goes giddy about music um, so if you're if you've got like a if you think it's like going to be cool and it's going to be like hanging out with film stars I don't even know what I'm saying but like you know it's you've really got to like your music mm-hmm. in an independent you've got to be going to the gigs you've got to be living breathing it um, and people pick up on that and they, they know you're the real deal mm-hmm. and that's what we're looking for we're looking for people who can convincingly convey our message um, I'm not entirely sure what to suggest in terms of getting into sync but um, it's just it is hard and I, I and you know, we've just we've just had one hundred and eighty applicants. Like for instance, in those in those applicants, were you looking for people who already had a solid grounding of rights management? No. For example, that wasn't all. something that you were expecting. It was no. kind of a, a happy bonus if they did. Um, but actually, you were looking for enthusiasm. You're looking for work attitude. ethic. You're looking attitude. for attitude, and you're looking for the love of. It's music and music. attitude, yeah. and that they've got the. Um, self-control to work in an office mm-hmm. so um, some people might think why did you hire them they haven't got any sync experience but but I can teach that I can teach you how to license music yeah. um, you, I, you just need to demonstrate to me that you've got that sort of brain that can understand process mm-hmm. and then really what we're looking for is that are you a domino person so do you fit in with the roster do you fit in with the other um, people in the office in the sense that you're already going to the gigs that they go to mm-hmm. you're already you know quite capable of like going off and finding the bands that you love when I always say you don't have to love domino music but you know it helps because you're gonna have to work with it yeah um, with that in mind at time of recording so h- halfway through July 2019 what are the bands that are that you've got to play with for the next half of the year that you're really, really excited about? Easy. So, uh, Georgia, uh, she's uh, got a single out at the moment about Work the Dance Floor, remixed by um, Black Madonna. Um, she is female, a drummer. She performed at the Park Stage, Glastonbury, um, writes all her own music, um, and is just an absolute phenomenal, phenomenal artist. Very excited about her. Um, I'm also excited about Black Midi, who we publish. Um, they're on Rough Trade. Um, complete avant-garde, out there guitar music. Um, they're super young. I'm so I'm so excited that they're on the roster. They're very challenging, um, but I, I love that. I love mm-hmm. that about them. Um, we've just signed Lava La Rue on the publishing side, and she is. Um, you know, she's just setting up her own collective, and uh, she really is like the DIY ethic. Um, and she was sort of part of a Converse Sparks project mm-hmm. um, before she signed to us. So um, there's just tons and tons of stuff. But I I have to say I'm really excited that we've signed the publishing to the specials. Okay. Because they are another reason why I went to Coventry Hold University. Just the, just the just the new stuff. Just the new stuff. Um, but we we got to go and see them in Coventry last week, and it felt for me like a whole round circle moment of like nice. the circle of life. <laughs> Very proud of them, and I think we need positive male role models at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it's great to have people like them. There's absolutely tons of other stuff, so I'll, I'll stop there. Cool. Uh, last question. You mentioned karaoke. What's your karaoke song? Uh, Always proud, Mary. Tina Turner. Nice. What a wonderful way to finish. Thank you very much for having me. Massive thank you there to Lyndon for welcoming me to the Domino offices. It was a really great, really interesting conversation. You can follow Domino Records via assorted social medias. Domino Record Co. is what you're looking for on Twitter. DominoMusic.com is their website. Go check out all of their music. It's all fantastic music. And also go check out 
various things that Lyndon has done in the past. There will be links to some of the bits and pieces that she's done, either what she's written about or what she's featured on in the episode description. As always, do get in touch with the show at behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com or via at behindthebusinesspod on Instagram or directly with me at Danny Champion on Twitter. Plenty more episodes to come. If you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, then please do check those out via whatever podcast app that you listen to. And as always, if you are interested in anyone in particular being featured on the podcast, if you would like to hear conversations with specific places that you are interested in, please do get in touch and let me know. So thank you very much again. And you'll hear from me again soon.